welcome to the Eleven Dubcast. We are we are back and ready for action. Except, unfortunately, the the football season is is you know it's it's on hiatus for a couple weeks. So we're not really we're not like ready for action so much as we're ready to talk about action that might happen in like three weeks. So that's pretty cool. We, we will get into that. We'll also talk a little b-ball because b-ball is something that we we pay attention to when football is not going on. So that's nice. Um, but how? How are you feeling? Are you still, Michael? Are you still kind of basking in the afterglow of, of winning the Big Ten championship game? By the way, I've seen it like five times at least in its entirety on the Big Ten Network. Like I can't stop watching it. I don't. I know what's going to happen, <laughs> but I cannot stop watching this thing every time it's on. It's just it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I can't stop watching it either. Um, and also the episode of the Journey that came out the following Wednesday has been on oh, yeah. a few times, right. and I've watched that a number of times because it's really even cooler to watch the game in slow-mo like that with the with dramatic music going and the Paul Keels, <laughs> right. you know, the Paul Keels call of uh, Ezekiel Elliott taking it to the house and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um I am basking. I, I am. It's it's um I mean, we don't get wins like that that often over really good teams like that. I mean, just absolute annihilation wins like that. Usually this is Ohio State, so we like to do things the difficult way. We either like to <laughs> right. either build up a big lead and then watch as it evaporates and we hope they run out of time or, yeah. you know, things don't go well and we have to rally or, you know, things just don't go well at all and we never rally. So um, there's those three ways that it usually happens. Uh, but be on the other side of it is, is pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, very happy, very uh, basking in the glow, uh, but also tinged with sadness because we are losing Tom Herman uh, after this uh, playoff, college football playoffs. Yeah. And uh, so hopefully he'll be here for two more victories before he heads off to Houston and um, begins his takeover of the world. <laughs> you know what? I, OK, so I want to I want to talk about Tom Herman a little bit, but I actually want to ask you about something uh so here's the thing. So it, it's been a week. I've seen the game about 50 billion times now. I'm like, yes, this is sweet. But um, has watching have you? Okay, first question, I guess. Have you have you watched it that many times? Have you like rewatched the game over and over? I've watched it in its entirety probably four times. Um, That's sweet. Okay. Yeah. So here's my question then, because we're Ohio State fans and we're high strung and we worry about everything. <laughs> have you now become as convinced as, as I am that Wisconsin was not that great? Because I'm like terrified now. I'm like, man, we, you know, like Ohio State's really good, but but Wisconsin, they look like crap. Like maybe we're just maybe we're not that good. Like I can't like it. Just the, the little reptilian part of my brain cannot just turn off and enjoy a win. I have to be negative about it somehow. And I'm like, man, maybe Wisconsin just kind of sucked. I don't know. I mean, I want your take on that. I want you to reassure me that Ohio State is indeed the best team in the history of the universe, and Wisconsin was, like, the second-best team, and we were that good. <laughs> I don't know if I can reassure you, Johnny, but I, I can tell you this. I am I know what you're thinking, and I, I don't – I'm not completely where you are right now, but I probably will be by December 31st when that game yeah. is looming the next day. But it's like, you know, I do think about things like the fact that they didn't call a lot of planned runs for Cardale Jones, and you know he did get his receiver to go up and help him out on a few. And 
Right. You know, that, and that kind of worries me. Can he do it against Alabama? Will he be, you know, will he be able to repeat that? Will the receivers be able to elevate their game like they did? Will the offensive line play like they did? Lights out. Um, it was it the emotion of Costa Cara George that uh, enabled them to to focus, you know, this with this super focus and 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 go out and annihilate them like that. And, and will that be burned off by then? And you know, these are all questions that I think are legitimate, but um, at the same time. I do think Ohio State's playing its best football of the year, and you know I think that if they go out and execute against Alabama, they certainly have a chance to to get that SEC blue blood monkey off their back. Um, well, and I think I think the biggest thing is like it, it's just one of those things where you're you you know the deficiencies that Ohio State has, and you you talk about them and you think about them throughout the entire year. When they have a game where they just blow all those away. Like, if you're a rational, logical person, you're going to be like, I know those still exist, right? I know that, like, problems uh, with the wide receivers don't get solved because in one game. I know that, like, a third-string quarterback having an amazing game doesn't negate the fact that he's still a third-string quarterback, you know, starting his first game. Like, when you think about it, it really is, A, amazing how well they played, and, B, still a little worrisome because – how can they possibly duplicate that performance? If, if they play like that against Alabama, I think they kill Alabama. I think they crush Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know that they necessarily can do that because, again, you know, the wide receivers had an all-time great game. The defensive line was eating up the the uh, Wisconsin offensive line just with ease. Um, and you, and you hope you see that again. But man, that, it's just one of those things you worry about. I'm I'm not you know I'm not one of those guys who's a really raw raw Ohio State fan, but I'm also not like exceedingly negative like some of my relatives <laughs> um so i try to I, I try to balance it it's really going to be interesting i mean I'm, I'm glad we do this dubcast in general because i like talking to people who know what they're talking about instead of just like having their emotions rule their opinions on sports <laughs> which is basically how i live so i, I you know I, i'm trying to like avoid that but like it, it's really interesting to I don't know, to just look back, especially on the, the totality of the season and see how the team's evolved. Like, I'm really excited, like, not just for the Sugar Bowl, but just for next year in general. I mean, I, mean, I know there's going to be tons of controversy, and, you know, with Tom Herman leaving, there's going to be a lot of turnover and a lot of different things coming in. But, like, I, I'm pumped. This is a cool team. It's an interesting team, and it's a really young team. I'm just I'm really excited for the future. And let's go to Tom Herman. Let's talk about that. All right. So, he pieces out. We knew we would. There's no shock there. Nobody in Ohio State is like, I can't believe we did that. Uh, where's the loyalty? Nobody's doing that. Um, <laughs> well, somebody's doing it. Well, okay. Some, somebody somewhere is doing that and being an idiot. Fair enough. Dumb people are doing that. But we got three seasons out of Tom Herman, which is, frankly, a, a season more than I thought we were going to get. Um, and, of course, he did an incredible job. I mean, just coaching up the quarterbacks offensively Ohio State has never been this good like in the history of the entire program has never been this good and I don't even give a crap if you're like I don't even mean in terms of pure yardage I mean just in terms of consistent offensive effort this is the best the team has ever been mm-hmm. um so I you know I'm I'm just I'm very happy with what we got out of the dude and I don't know I what what are your thoughts on departing Tom Herman who is now our mortal enemy at the University of uh Houston <laughs> Well, here's the thing about Tom Herman is that as soon as Cardale Jones played the way he did and the offense played the way it did against Wisconsin, every school that was even thinking about firing its coach should have been on the phone with him. Oh, no kidding. Um, as soon as you saw that, 
And I honestly think that he that is part of the reason that JT Barrett finished fifth in the Heisman voting and not higher. Because I think right. they're like, well, that's the system, <laughs> you know. It's like, yeah. Uh, because if Cardale Jones could come in and do it, and, you know, in the Big Ten championships, obviously the system. But uh, yeah, I think he he certainly is, has earned the right to be a head coach. He wanted to be a head coach all along. He's earned that right. He, you know, I guess we can just sit there and thank Michigan for not offering him the job because they're <laughs> idiots. Right. Um, and they, you know, he's not a Michigan man, so obviously he couldn't go there. Um, I mean, I I think they've, you know, and that's something I want to talk to Matt about tonight is is this whole coaching search at Michigan because I feel like they put all their eggs in the basket of, of Harbaugh and I'm like, man, if that didn't work out for them, like, they're that's gonna be like Humpty Dumpty. All those eggs are gonna be broken and they're gonna be real upset because I man, I don't I don't necessarily see it happening. And uh, yeah, I I agree with you. I don't know why so many major programs. Passed up on the dude. Maybe they're gun shy about hiring coordinators. Yeah, you know what I, I mean, think, like I after Muschamp, but like, are. yeah, I think a lot of a lot of schools are afraid to. They want to hire somebody with head coaching experience, but at right. some point, a good coach used to be an assistant coach. Yeah, and he has to get yeah. a start somewhere. And you know, some of them can step right in and become good head coaches right away. Some can't. It depends, I think, who you worked for. I mean, look at what Dan Mullen's been right. able to do and people like that. They worked hmm, under a guy named Urban Meyer. And uh, yeah, <laughs> they went to another Division One school and they immediately were pretty successful. So um, yeah. I think it can happen. Um, by the way, by the way, Michael, I saw somebody put a semi-serious, like, I, I think it was serious, actually, uh, post on a forum somewhere saying that, like, you know, we should really try to get Dan Mullen back as uh, offensive coordinator. <laughs> 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 like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, you know, I've seen some similar stuff like that. That's why I, I posted yeah. this sarcastic tweet today about Urban Meyer offers the uh, or, or Urban Meyer names Chip Kelly offensive coordinator. And Chip, <laughs> right. Chip, Chip's like, well, I, I'm coaching the Eagles. I don't care. I, I have yeah. I have named you. you. It is binding. You are the new offensive coordinator. <laughs> you have been appointed. <laughs> yeah. you have, it has been decreed. <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, says, so it shall be. Urban's going to be fine. He's you know, you replace a, you know, a Mike Vrabel with a Larry Johnson senior. I think he, right. he knows. Which is it's probably <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not crying about that. I mean, shoot, that's, I don't want to say necessarily that's an upgrade, but that's certainly not a downgrade by any search of the imagination. Like they'll find a dude. And here's what I think. I mean, I really think, um, you know, they're going to do it internally. Like I don't expect them. I mean, it would be great to like lure away, um, you know the the offensive coordinator for Oregon, uh, Frost, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's I don't know. I don't see that happening. That seems like I, kind I, of a lateral move to me. I think maybe the guy, yeah. um, the guy down in uh, down at Mississippi State might be a good candidate who's a younger guy who could come in and be quarterbacks coach and maybe co offensive coordinator, and then you elevate Ed Warner to offensive coordinator, right? And so you've still got the quarterback taken care of. You got the offensive coordinator position. You know, taking care of Warner knows what what Meyer wants. Uh, then it comes down to play calling. And does Meyer take that over, or does he feel good about Ed Warner doing it? I don't know. But I'm sure they'll. I got trust in this guy. He knows what he's doing. Urban Meyer, he's he's no uh, he's not a newbie. He knows what he's he knows what's going on, and he'll get it done. Well, and the thing is, Warner. I mean, it, it's not like he's never called plays before, right? Like he's not. I mean, granted, like we've obviously been spoiled with. Tom Herman, but he's not a spring chicken. Warner's been all over the place, and he's done this before. I I don't think the, you know, 
as much as I hate it when people pile on Tom Herman and say, oh, he's not very good. I mean, the guy's a genius. He's, and I don't mean this mince of crap. I mean, he's really, really good yeah. at calling plays and, and creating an offense. I don't think Warner's that much of a downgrade. I mean, I think there would be a bit of a downgrade, but I think it's important to point out, you know, Herman had bad games. He had games where he poorly called plays and he did not come up with really, he wasn't super creative and things like that. Uh Like he isn't the end all be all of play callers. And I, I do think if you get Warner in there, he could do a good job. I mean, I don't know that, I don't know that Urban really wants to be doing that just because I don't know that he feels that's his place, but, um, I don't know. It'll be really, really interesting. The quarterback's position, to me, the quarterback's coach position, rather, to me, is the the larger issue here because they really need to bring in somebody who Barrett and Miller and Cardale feel a a good rapport with and mm-hmm. can work with because that's that's really I think where Herman's biggest impact, you know, aside from maybe game planning, was felt because the way he developed those guys is just completely unbelievable. And of course, the you know the proof's in the pudding, right? Right. Just how well JT Barrett performed this season. Like I, you know, I can't think of many other coaches who could have done that good of a job. So I think that's going to be the biggest issue is finding a guy who can work with those quarterbacks and, and make sure that they stay as effective as they've been. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. I, nobody thought that, you know, JT Barrett was going to be in the Heisman conversation at the end of the year. I mean, <laughs> nobody, I don't care how optimistic they were, nobody was saying Heisman Trophy. And I wouldn't even thought he would have been in, like, the first team Big Ten conversation. Right, right. Like, I, it was, yeah, that's ridiculous. I was, that is probably one of the greatest stories, I think. Like, I loved Kenny Guyton, right? Like, Kenny Guyton mm-hmm. coming in and being as amazing as well. But JT Barrett stepping in with, like, a week, basically, to prepare. Like, okay, kid, <laughs> yeah. you are now you're now have the most important position at one of the, you know, most important college football programs in the United States, yeah. F1. And Cardell Jones doing it in a week. Uh, you yeah, know, exactly. Becoming a starter in a week. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that there was a lot of criticism for Tom Herman from Ohio State fans in terms of, People that didn't think Braxton Miller was was um, developing as well as they thought he should, you know, and becoming the passer that you know the awesome passer that he should become. Um, but you know, I think overall, if you look at the quarterback play from Ohio State the last three years, uh, you really can't complain. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like it's, I think a lot of that is just on Miller in general. I don't think. I mean, you know, he's. I'm not saying obviously he's a bad quarterback, but I also don't think that he's ever going to be a complete passer. Um, and JT Barrett to just step out of the gate like that is just ridiculous. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting replacing the dude. I really am happy with the fact that he's going to stay with the team through the playoff run, mm-hmm. which I really respect. Uh, he didn't, he doesn't have to do that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, the guy's been hired. He could, he can kind of, you know, do his own thing, but instead he's going to concentrate and do that. And I think that's pretty awesome. Although, you know, Urban Meyer might like, you know, kidnap, <laughs> you know, stuff him in a trunk right. and not let him out. Didn't uh, uh, until... I think Bo Pelini did that when when he decided to take Nebraska? Didn't he? He stayed with LSU and coached against Ohio State in yeah. the national championship game. So um, he won. So hopefully Tom Herman will have that opportunity. That's right. And <laughs> Bo Pelini, now head coach of Youngstown State, congratulations. Um, <laughs> Some might say not a lateral move, uh, but he gets to hang out with his bro Jim Trestle, so that's cool. Um, Trestle's a boss, by the way. If he pulls that off, Trestle is a oh boss. my god. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, Jim Trestle. I mean, we we yeah, I 
I'm really interested to see how that dynamic plays out, actually. I think that should be very interesting to keep an eye on going forward. Um, anyway, so that, that that's kind of it. That's the big scoop. You know, that's the thing. I think we're all kind of just I'm, – I'm still coming down from that high, man. Like, I'm still – I'm still feeling the good vibes from the Big Ten Championship game, or at least as long as they keep replaying it on the Big Ten Network, I will continue. Which will be like three times a week minimum for the till the rest, you know, for till the end of time. Yeah, no, I, I completely. We're still agree. seeing the I, Oregon uh, Rose Bowl like twice a week, I think. Which is still <laughs> an amazing game to watch. I still love watching that game, man. Like Ballard getting that getting that catch, leaping up there, man. Like, yeah. I'll shoot, I'll take that any day of the week. Yep, that was the um, game. That, that, that was the game. Terrell Pryor became a passer. That's right. It wasn't that the last. Is that the last official win for the Ohio State Buckeyes in a bowl game? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because because they vacated the 2011 Sugar Bowl, even though right. they said, "Oh, these these players are ineligible, but we're making them ineligible, making them eligible for this one game." Special. Right. And then we're gonna not count. The and games. then we're gonna not count it afterwards. But. We're, we're, remember when we said we weren't going to vacate this one? Well, you know, they shouldn't have played. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, that was the last one. And then then uh, the Gator Bowl, which was a loss, and then the year off, and then the, the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl. Yeah. yeah. So, so that sucks. So we have, uh, you know, I, I think it's actually might help because Urban Meyer is going to spend a month drilling into these guys that they haven't won anything and like, Several years, the seniors' last chance to win a bowl game. Um, you're going to get uh, all of the all of the things Joey Bosa was passed over for, and that and the fact that JT Barrett didn't get to go to New York. That's all going to be brought up in in the meetings and stuff, and and it's all going to yeah, be I think part of the, the underdog motivating yeah. Ohio State very well. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I think that's that's where that's our comfort zone. It's and not just with this team. I think Ohio State fans in general really love it when we're the underdog. Like I just. We like being disrespected. There's just that's we're masochistic that way. We just think it's great. Like you don't like us, fine. And then we get all mad, and then we try to be like. I think that's where we want to be. We don't want to be the front runner. We don't want to be the Miami. You know, we don't want to be the you. We want to be like disrespected and hated, yeah. and then we can like show everybody up. That's what we like. Well, look what we're happened like with um, look. Look what happened. All you heard about was Melvin Gordon, and look what right. look what Ezekiel Elliott did in that offensive that's line. Right. So right. how and, and good, we don't want anybody talk about it either. We just want everybody to shut up. Like, nope, disrespect us. We don't care. So we're, how we're good off. do you think the Ohio State receivers will be hearing about Amari Cooper for a month? Yeah, well, there you go. And and hopefully they can keep making plays and, and make, uh, you know, Cardell Jones look really good yeah. again. That would so. be great. So here we go. So we got some questions here. We got a lot. Ask us anything. Yes. Another, you know, great tradition of the 11 Dubcast. And I can say that because this has been going on for like, this is like our fourth year. So you know what? I can say that. We have traditions now. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so ask us anything. Uh, Michael, can you please tell our listeners, our, our myriad of listeners, how they can ask us anything? Uh, absolutely. You can email us. That's this newfangled electronic mail doohickey uh, on your computers. You can email us at dubcast at 11warriors.com, spell it all out. Or you can hit up our 11dubcast Twitter account, which is at 11dubcast. And again, it's all spelled out, uh, E-L-E-V-E-N-D-U-B-C-A-S-T. Hit us up on the Twitters, hit us up on the emails, or you can also also tweet to me or Johnny on our personal personal Twitter accounts. Uh, You are Johnny11w, and I am 11w underscore... Michael. Also, you can wrap a message um, around a rock 
with a rubber band and then throw it at my my window. You can do that too. That's yeah. fine. Um, Break Johnny's window. So first, yeah. So first question we have here, Michael, uh, this is one of our email ones. What, what's your favorite NES game? We talked about this a little earlier, so probably a quick answer from you. Yeah, I know. I've never had a Nintendo system ever of any kind. That is crazy. Um, I've, I've, I did have a Sega Genesis where I got really hooked on EA Sports' NHL game where I would play like an entire season in like a weekend. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I actually have experienced um, Gamer's Thumb, you know, the, the tendonitis. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's a real thing and it's, it's, it, is. it hurts. Um, and then, you know, I've also got hooked on some computer games like Diablo or StarCraft, but I have not uh, I had a Nintendo and I know a lot of people like the Mario uh, yeah, and uh, and that's my favorite NES game, Mario Super Mario Bros. Three, greatest platforming game of all times. Not even close. Um, it's yeah, it, it's pretty brilliant. I I love Super Mario Bros. Three. Um, any game that you can turn into a living statue or a flying raccoon, <laughs> or you know, I just I love it. I also I had a Game Genie. Okay, so I had a, I even remember the codes that I used for the Game Genie for Super. It's SLX SLO PVS. Uh, SXEZ, SKOG, and then there was another one. But I, I just remember all of these. I don't know what that <laughs> means. <these> games. <laughs> well, there, you know, you have to put in a certain letter combination. And allow one of them was Airwalk, so you could just keep bouncing in the sky instead of ever having to touch the ground. Uh, invincibility, Infinite Lies, play as Raccoon Mario the entire game. Pretty, pretty standard stuff. You know, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> uh, so like cheat okay, codes. Okay, we got another one here. Wait, what? So, so they're like cheat codes. Yes, there. Yeah, it was cheat codes. It was Game Genie. It was like a little thing that you attach to your NES cartridge, and then you put it inside, and then it could modify your game. Ah. It's pretty sweet. Um, Kurt Heinrich asks us on uh, Twitter: best and worst alternate college football uniforms, not including Maryland's atrocities. What do you think, Michael? Uh, well, the best is the Ohio State cocaine whites. Ooh, yeah, those are sweet. Those, those are really. I mean, I obviously I'm biased, but I love those uniforms. They're really just awesome. Um, yeah, I yeah I can I can dig that. And, and the worst for me is pretty much anything Oregon comes up with. So here's the thing: I don't mind Oregon's more recent stuff. Some of their older stuff was pretty atrocious. Like about three or four years ago, they had some really horrible uniforms. I'm I'm better with what they got now, but my worst. Here's the thing: a lot of people say. Michigan had some really terrible alternates. I actually kind of like. Yeah, I don't like. The yeah, I actually like them, and I'm like the only person on earth who is who, who will admit to that. But um, they have also had some really bad ones prior to this year that I really could not stand. So, um, yeah, Michigan. Uh, you know, anything Adidas. I got to tell you something. Adidas just cannot do alternate yeah. uniforms. Do they do Oklahoma <laughs> State's? Because Oklahoma State's got like a a dark gray one that's really ugly too. And yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not sure, but they're they're pretty bad. And they I, not... Oh, you know, another one that I really loved was the one that Navy wore for us. Like, oh, yeah. State. Those were really great, too. Yeah, Navy always gets – they get some really sweet helmets, too. They they always come up with something pretty cool. And I don't like I don't like any of this crap where you put some word on the back of your jersey, like loyalty oh, yeah. or – Integrity. You know, yeah, I hate that crap. Courage. Just put the name of the player so I can see who the hell they are. Football. I'm too old and tired to look at the – darn roster to see who that guy was that just carried the ball. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's dumb. Yeah, don't do that. I agree. All right, so we got a couple more here. Hmm? Uh, this is from Jim Pete. Jim Pete. Uh, Jim Pete. Two first names. Two first names. Jim Pete. Yeah, I. you know what? And I'm a big fan of people with two first names. I think that's pretty cool. 
I like I like the succinctness, especially if it's two one syllable names. Jim P. Um, okay, so hammer turkey for Christmas, or should he go rogue and have Italian? What do you think? I'm a traditionalist that says uh, turkey for Christmas, and um, I've always done like both for Easter, but I've always done turkey for Christmas. That's not a bad idea. We always do both. My family always does ham and turkey for Christmas. Here's the thing. You can have Italian on any holiday. In fact, yeah. Italian works very well for New Year's Eve. Very I good. Think. Yes, yes. So so my point is is that like you need to have a Christmas ham. There's a reason why it's called a Christmas ham and not Italian Christmas. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I okay, I come from an Italian family. We do have Italian Christmas. But uh, the, the Christmas ham needs to have about a three-inch layer of glaze. Okay. First of all, that you need to like cut through. It's like a, it's got to be like a candied apple. Okay, that you eat. And and if you don't have that, then you're not really having Christmas. So I I say go traditional ham and turkey. You want Italian? Just wait a week. Okay, or five days. I can't do math. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a sports podcast. No one's counting. Um, and then have it for New Year's. Just just wait. Just wait a little bit. Let yourself digest all that good Christmas, delicious Christmas turkey and ham, and you'll be fine. Uh, Jim, by the way, has a second question. Well, he before says, we leave that, I, I do want to say that there were times when I was separated from my family and living by myself in a strange city, and I true. thought that Chinese food was a, a really great uh, well, holiday thing to have because they were the only ones open, and I like Chinese food. I agree with both of those things, but that's also like – some kind of national lampoons Christmas like, story. Family, it's like, a Christmas, Christmas story, or... man. Yeah, I guess that's true. When the Bumpus yeah, hounds, you know, ate the uh, turkey, they ended up having to go get a duck at the Chinese. And they chopped the duck's head off, yeah. and yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um. Okay. So Jim Pete has another one here. Do you give Saban and Alabama's defense or Meyer and OSU's offense the edge? Um. In prep uh, with or against Cardale Jones, what do you what do you think? This is a pretty heavy question. This is something we're definitely going to be discussing more. Yeah, at length here. I, yeah, I think we will. I, it's such a tough question to answer, but I would say because there's so little film on Cardale Jones, I would say you probably give the edge to Ohio State just because there's so little film on him uh, right. for for Nick Saban and Alabama to digest. Because again, they didn't run a a lot of quarterback design runs, so we don't know if that's going to even be part of the game plan. Uh, all they can do really is, I think they probably, if it's me, I'd go back and look at what Kenny Guyton did, and I'd, I'd sort of game plan that way. And right. uh, I, But I don't know how you can really prepare for somebody that you haven't seen. Um, that said, they could probably just come up with a bunch of different like really bizarre blitzes and, and probably confuse him. That's probably what they'll try to do, but um, then it's up to the line to get their assignments right. So I, I'll give a slight edge to Ohio State here, but that isn't to say that they'll come out and dominate because we just don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to put it as a push, maybe lean towards Alabama. The reason why I say that is because I just, I, you know, I think that it's easier to confuse a new quarterback than it is to for a new quarterback to overcome that kind of confusion. But what I will say, though, is that maybe that Virginia Tech game prepared Ohio State better than any other game possibly could have because, you know, Alabama tries to throw that bare front or do something crazy, then, I mean, like, that's nothing Ohio State hasn't already seen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yep. So I don't know. I'm, it'll be really interesting to see what Alabama decides to put all their hat. And I will say this, Ohio state has been, they haven't really gone super crazy this year, right? Like the tight ends haven't been playing every third down and being like super involved. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been doing the bump passes and stuff, but you really haven't seen a game where everything, just the whole kitchen sink was thrown out of defense yet. So if they do that and it works, Alabama could have a lot of, they could have some difficulty because Ohio State has they don't have really great great offensive players like they don't have an Amari Cooper right uh-huh. they don't have a transcendent guy but they have a lot of really really good guys who can do a billion different things right like they're like there's so many jack of all trades on this offense and they can do anything. Yep. So I think that makes them very difficult to game plan against. So, you know, we'll see how that works out again. We'll talk about this more in the future, but you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a cool game. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, thanks again for asking us these questions. Thanks, again, Jim Pete. Can, that's right, Jim Pete. Uh Kurt Heyrich and everybody else. You guys can um you guys of course can email us and in us on Twitter and and we look forward to your questions. All right, joining us this week as he does every week is our good friend Matt Finkus. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Oh, excellent as always, fellas. Well, we are really glad to have you for Fingus on Football, and um, there's a lot to kind of uh, digest here. This is this has been a very interesting day, and you know we we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but I really want to get your impressions first of all on Tom Herman, and you know maybe some of the potential replacements for him, and and how much of a hit does Ohio State take with him leaving? You know, I, I think that this. Uh this was inevitable. You know, I mean, we're looking at this and, and yeah, I guess the, the shock of it is, is kind of real because it's happening, but right. this, this was something that was a lot of people thought was going to happen last year and didn't. Uh, this, this was something that was a matter of time. You know, there's two types of assistant coaches in, in college football. There's the, the guys that are going to be assistant coaches for, you know, 20, 30 years. And then there's those guys that, that are in Tom Herman's age group, you know, that, that <clears throat> mid to late forties, you know, that, that thirties to forties that are still aspiring to be head coaches. And Tom is definitely one of those guys. He's ambitious, he's talented, and, and he's got that shot. And it was just going to be a matter of time before someone snatched him up. I think the university of Houston is a great fit for him personally, it's a, an area that he's familiar with. It's a program that he's familiar with. Uh, recruiting shouldn't be an issue for him there. Uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've been saying this, that there's a potential there that he ends up in a Power 5 conference. I mean, the Big right. 12 right now is is freaking out because they didn't get a team into the college football playoffs. <laughs> they're, they're hearing the committee say that the fact that you didn't play a championship game and didn't have a true champion was a big issue for you guys. Uh, they're going to have to look to expansion at some point. Uh, Houston has the facilities that they just upgraded to probably be one of those teams that they're looking at bringing in. I don't think any of the other conferences, I don't think the Big 12 is in a position to poach teams from other conferences anymore. The Big East doesn't exist anymore to, to take teams out of. So, you know, you can you can look at the, whatever that is, the AA, the American Conference or the, the Conference USA, and maybe there's a Cincinnati in there or a team that, that can kind of get into – into it up into that level but at the same time i think houston is, is a good foot and they've had some good good success with those texas teams like tcu bringing them in uh that all being said what kind of hit is it going to take to ohio state uh i think majorly it's going to take a recruiting hit and, and that and that'll depend on who are Urban present to replace him. I, Urban has been very savvy with, with his coaching staff and the needs uh, as far as 
guys addressing needs as far as recruiting and guys addressing needs as far as player development. I mean, make no mistake, Kerry Combs is, is there to recruit the city of Cincinnati and, and because that was a big fall off for, for Urban Meyer and for Ohio State with, under the Trestle years. Uh, you know, Tom Herman was brought in here, yes, to recruit Texas, but also to develop quarterbacks and, and to be that position coach. Ed Warner is, is here to develop offensive linemen, yet recruiting is kind of secondary for Ed Warner. So, so it'll be an interesting blend because Urban is an offensive guy. I don't think you're going to see a fall off as far as production and the way the offense is called because Urban has a huge hand in that. Probably more than a lot of people would like to believe or like to know. Uh, I mean, I personally think and, and uh, you know, I've got some insight in as to it is almost, you know, Trestle 2.0. I mean, yeah, Tom right. Urban is, is, the, is the coordinator, but Urban Meyer has a huge hands-on approach to, to the way his offense is run. And, and so from that point of view, I don't think that it's going to be that much of a fall-off. Technique-wise and what Tom Herman imparted and the way he prepared quarterbacks, uh, that, that's to be seen. You know, I mean, th- this was really Tom's first chance at this kind of a job and at this kind of exposure. And we'll see if this was a I, – I guess for me, I'm waiting to see if the next guy that comes in who's the quarterback coach – can hold serve and do what Tom was doing. And, and we see the jump from Nick Siciliano to Tom Herman as being so huge, <laughs> mostly because Nick Siciliano was so bad. And yes, Tom Herman was a good coach, but he, but maybe not the quarterback guru whisperer guy that, that we all have, have attributed him to be just because the guy in front of him was so bad. So I, I think that, that, you know, the major hit is going to be recruiting the state of Texas, and Urban is going to have to address that. Uh, but I think that Urban will be able to go out there and find the young talent to, to bring in and develop quarterbacks and run his offensive system without too much of a problem. Matt, I really, uh, I really love throwing a little bit of uh, Nick Siciliano shade. That's nice. <laughs> I always appreciate yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, from a player perspective, we saw an incredible amount of focus out of those young, young men in the uh, week leading up to the, the Big Ten championship. Um, what you know how does a how does a player react to knowing that his coach is going to be gone and will this be a distraction team do you think and you know what what is the mindset uh when a team knows that their coach is going to be leaving you know even though it's just you a know, coordinator i don't think that there's going to be much of a distraction i mean tom is still going to be there he's still going to be just as involved i guarantee you that urban didn't leave, even let tom out of the state of ohio to interview for this job without letting him know your priorities are going to be focused here until we either lose to Alabama or win the national championship or, or, you know, or or we're done on on January 12th. I guarantee you that that message was, was, was relayed and that Tom Herman is sole focus aside from maybe doing a press conference uh, when they make the formal announcement. I guess they've already made the formal announcement. They might fly him down there over the weekend to do a press conference. But other than that, I expect Tom Herman to be solely focused on Ohio State and and pre- preparing for Alabama, and I don't think that uh, th- that's something that, that he would want to do differently. I, I think that yes, you're going to be excited because you have a new job, and, and that's something to look forward to. But I think Tom Herman wants to prepare because that national championship, if they can get it, still goes on his record. I mean, it goes on his resume. I mean, it's not like he doesn't get credit for it because he d- decided to take this Houston coaching job. So that's a, still a huge feather in his cap if he can get that as a player and. 
I don't think that that's going to affect anything. I think the, the way that Tom prepares uh, for this Alabama game is not going to be any different than the way he's prepared for any game up until this point. And so the players shouldn't know any, any difference. You know, once you get into the sit in the meeting room and, you know, talk with him about, uh, you know, we, we had this with, with Bill Young when he left uh, in 95 and then he was a position coach, a defensive coordinator. And we, you know, you get in the room and you, you and you, you say your goodbyes and you wish him well, and then it's back on to business. I mean, this is a this is an unforgiving business that we're, that they're a part of, and, and you you can't take time to stop and smell the roses until it's all over. So, speaking of this unforgiving business, uh, Michigan finds itself in the midst of a really important coaching search. I guess they're all important, you know, when you're when you're trying to get a head coach. But like, how do you think that's going for them? Because right now, to me, it really feels like they have put all of their you know chips down on Harbaugh, and it's like. I don't know that they can necessarily do that. I don't know that a Michigan can afford to do that right now, but I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but like, I don't know that I necessarily see that happening. I mean, what's your read on that whole situation? I'll tell you what, these are the two most important hires that Michigan football has, has probably made in its history. And I say two, because I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to come with the interim AD in place. I think that he's waiting to see, who is going to be the permanent athletic director there to, to find out if he's going to have the support and can work with him. And then he makes his decision as far as being able to afford it. Michigan better afford it. They, they need to jump out of a tree and they need to back up the Brinks truck to, to whoever it's going to be. And they need to think of it, not as paying a coach seven to $8 million a year. They need to think of it as we're buying our program. Back. Our program is in the dumpster. What does it cost to, I mean, what, what is the value on that? What is the value right. on a premier Michigan program? It's a lot more than seven or eight million dollars a year. So while that sticker price might be shocking to some people, if I'm the new AD at Michigan, I'm going to my board of regents and saying, if Jim Harbaugh wants seven million dollars, we're giving Jim Harbaugh seven million dollars because I believe he's going to be the guy who can bring back this program to prominence to where we're going to twenty five million dollar bowls every year, to where we're going and, and our merchandise sales are off the charts and we don't have to about not selling out our stadium anymore in a year. You've got to spend money to make money in any business. Football is different, and Michigan can't be short-sighted and, and try to go on the cheap to find a diamond in the rough like they did with Brady Hoke and come up empty again. They, they, they're in a position where they cannot afford to do that. They need to back up the truck and pay, whether it's Jim Harbaugh or Les Miles or, or whoever the big name is home run. They need an Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer is out there in the form of Jim Harbaugh for them right now. I mean, th- there's no way that he's going to end up back in San Francisco. Uh, the, the 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 San Francisco 49ers are going to try to trade him probably to get some kind of value out of him, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of takers. The only dicey situation might be if uh, if they want him in Miami, and, and, and a guy down there is a huge Michigan backer. He's the one who funds most of their athletic program. If he decides he wants him to coach the Dolphins, then he might go down and coach the Dolphins. I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think that in the end of the day, hopefully, Michigan sees the light, hires a, an athletic director who is on board with bringing the program back to respectability. I mean, it's great that they have a, a decent basketball team, you know, the last couple of years, even though they suck this year again. But, you know, football drives the bus in the Big Ten, and that's just a fact of life. And they need to get back on board. And whether it's $7 million a year or $8 million a year to Jim Harbaugh, Michigan has to pay it because they need to buy the respectability for their program back. And that's not going to come from a guy who makes $2 million a year. 
Yeah, Matt, I can tell you down here in Florida, there is a lot of talk about uh, Stephen Ross wanted uh, wanting Jim Harbaugh. He whiffed on him last time, tried to get him. He's going to try to get him again. Uh, it all depends on whether or not Harbaugh would rather coach in the NFL, try to win a Super Bowl, or go back to college. If Michigan can't get Harbaugh or Miles, where does it turn? You know, that's a great question, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's a great answer for that because now you're, you're down to a situation where you don't have your premier guy. You don't have the guy that you want, and you're, you're almost in that cycle that, that Notre Dame was in uh, right after Bob Davey where you go to Tyrone Willingham for a couple of years, and then, then you've got the Charlie Weiss experiment. I mean, and, and you, you keep hiring guys that you, you hope can get it done, but you, you're hedging your bet, and, and you kind of know that they're, they're not going to get it done. Um, so I don't know what the, what the good answer for them is. I mean, for, for me, if I'm on the Michigan Board of Regents, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm making Jim Harbaugh happen. And I think that that's the only thing that they can do to, to, to get back to respectability and to get get the business of Michigan football back on the right track. I don't think that you can go out and, you know, bring in a, uh, you know, a coordinator from 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 the SEC and, and bring him in and, and, and be the next Michigan head coach. I just I can't see you, you doing that and that being a. A winning proposition for you. I think that they need to bite the bullet. They, they've made. I mean, it, it's just like anything else. Once you've made a couple bad decisions and things start going downhill, do you decide to do you do you put band aids on it and try to fix it, or do you you know really address the issue, get down to the bottom of it? And yes, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt your pocketbook, and 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 you know it, it's it's that car that has been just that old crappy car that you had in college where you kept putting fifty dollars <laughs> into it, fifty dollars here and fifty dollars there. What you needed to do was spend two grand and put a new engine in it, and that's where Michigan football is right now. They need to bite the bullet and stop putting new spark plugs in their machine and go buy a new engine and and get that thing running again. And Jim Harbaugh is is the new engine. <laughs> That is uh that is sound football advice and sound car uh advice. And speaking as a guy who was still driving a two thousand and one Chevy Cavalier, um I, I appreciate it and it is definitely well taken. So thank you very much for that. There you go. Uh, Try to help the people out, you know, those young college right. kids as they're trying to work their way through. <laughs> uh well Matt, thank you very much. We're we're definitely gonna have you on uh obviously again, but man, Next couple of weeks, we are going to hit it hard with Alabama and preview stuff, so I'm really excited to hear uh, about that from you. But uh, for this week, this is Finkus on Football. Thanks again, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Sounds Matt. good, man. Yeah, we can, uh, we can recap that. Uh, this, this is the 20-year anniversary of the 95 Citrus Bowl of OSU-Alabama. You know. Yes. Excellent. Which, which did not turn out too well for us, but uh, but that's no. Well, I, I just did no. an interview on an Alabama uh, TV station about that, and it was not, not too fun. Hopefully, this will turn out better. <laughs> And I, I want some of those uh, ask me anything questions from you guys next week. Fire you know what? Okay, up. so let, let's do that right now because I actually right. have one that I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask. We've got another guy coming on. We got uh, Kim Pomeroy tonight, but I want to ask you this one, uh, and especially since uh, you were in college, kind of during around this time period a little bit. What do, what was your jam? What was your what was your NES Nintendo Entertainment System game? What was your what was your game that you played all the time? If you oh had my one? gosh, yeah, we didn't even have that. I mean, I think Sega just like the Sega Genesis just came out. <laughs> I mean, I'm old, so I mean, they're, they're, I think you know what we got we got the very first PlayStation for one of our bowl guests. That's how old yeah. I am. I mean, I think That's that was awesome. 1995. And the only thing I remember playing is me is Brable and I used to play. Uh, 
the hockey the hockey version of the game. <laughs> that, that's the I love thing. this. Your your answer is almost exactly the same yeah. as Michael's. That is beautiful. Yeah, I love that, was, that. That was my answer too, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, we always played the hockey version of the game. We we made up our own players and we we played the hockey version. I just remember I was always the Boston Bruins and he was always Vancouver. And and we didn't, we knew nothing about hockey. I mean, the Blue Jackets weren't here or anything by then, so we knew nothing about hockey. I mean, we're two guys yeah. from Ohio. We had no idea what was going on with hockey, but we would sit there and play hockey that hockey video game, and, and we did that for about a month, and then it lost its luster. And we went back out to uh, going to the bars. <laughs> well, good answer. I appreciate that. I uh, at the time I think it was I was Star Foxing it up and doing a little Super Mario Brothers sixty four. I was a pretty big nerd when I was a little kid. Uh, and and <laughs> yeah, today, then. believe it or not, it's still there. Yeah, it's still there. I get it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, and, and we'll definitely talk to you next week. All right, guys. Sounds great. All right, good night, Matt. All right, joining us tonight on the 11 Dubcast is the always informative Ken Pomeroy, uh, KenPom.com, Advanced Metrics. Thank you so much for coming on and discussing a little uh, Buckeye basketball with us. Yeah, you bet, Johnny. Well, so, okay, a lot, of, a lot of questions that we have right now. We're just getting into basketball season. I know there, there probably isn't a ton of information on Ohio State, uh, but I know that a lot of Ohio State fans are really trying to get some more, like, detailed info about uh, this team, and you tweeted out something really interesting earlier today, and you said uh, Ohio State is third in offensive possession length and 350th in defensive possession length. Can you explain a little bit about what that means? Yeah, so, you know, it's uh, we're just looking at the basically time of possession, you know, how long a team takes on offense and, and how long that opponents take. Um, you know, you can look at, at the raw tempo number, and, uh, you know, it's a prominent part of my site, and it, it it has been for years, but Ohio State's one of those teams where that number doesn't mean so much because they're just so so different on either end of the floor. And not surprising that they have the long uh, defensive possession length. You know, going to the zone this year, you look at at teams that have really long defensive possessions. They tend to be zone teams or pack line teams, uh, teams of that ilk. Um, a little bit surprising that they're playing so fast offensively. Some of that is is just the mismatches they've had. But uh, overall, it seems like there's a definite uh, desire to play a little faster this year. Ken, I'm really intrigued by a lot of your advanced metrics, and, I, and I'm, I'm wondering if you found like one particular metric that that tends to stand out for for predetermining success of teams. Yeah, it's not not really. I mean, you know, I think looking at the numbers, it's all about kind of taking a top down approach, you know. And obviously, you look at uh, the offensive efficiency for how well a team performs offensively, and I mean, that's you know extremely important. I mean, basically describes how well they're doing. And then, you know, you just drop down from there to the four factors and looking at effective field goal percentage and turnover percentage and offensive rebounding percentage and seeing, you know, if there's any pattern there as to why a team's performing well or, or why they're not performing well. And, uh, you know, you can drill down beyond those into player-level stats and just other team-level stats. Uh, you know, every every team's stats, uh, you know, tend, tend to tell a different story. So it's, uh, it's not like there's kind of a, a formula for, uh, you know, figuring out what works in college basketball. Right. So, well, so you've got Kentucky right now. They're, they're third in offensive, or excuse me, adjusted offense, and then second in adjusted defense. Are they un, as untouchable right now as everyone seems to be saying, and then some of the statistics seem to be backing up? Or is that maybe just a result of this being really early in the season and not having enough data to kind of really fully determine what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think we're getting to the point with them where we have enough data. I mean, they're, I think, clearly the best team in the country right now. You know, it's just a matter of 
how far ahead of the pack are they? Um, right. Yeah. So, um, so there's an update on that. I mean, they, you know, uh, there's issues with taking those numbers and sort of applying, comparing uh, them to previous seasons. You know, we, uh, we've had people talk about how, you know, this might be the best events, you know, ever, at least since I started tracking things. And, uh, uh, you know, you just can't compare their adjusted def- uh, defense efficiency from the first 11 games of the season, especially early in the season when, you know, offenses tend to struggle. You can't compare that number to a, a full season number from previous seasons. So that's where probably I would exercise a little caution. But, I mean, I think the the talk is legit as far as them, you know, having a, you know, a real shot at running the table. And on my side, I only have a, a 6% chance of going undefeated. And I, I would, you know, wager that that is understating things. It's probably, you know, it's not 50%, but, you know, we're probably talking – 30% at this point. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very real possibility. Ken, I wanted to ask you, I wonder if, if first of all, like kind of how you got into these sort of uh, data metrics, and, and secondly, how has it changed the way you watch a basketball game? Yeah, I, you know, I got into it, uh, you know, I've always had an interest in, in numbers. I'm kind of a, a, a nerdy math type guy. And, uh, you know, about uh, 10, 12 years ago, uh, you know, baseball analytical movement was really taking off. And there was a lot of great content on the Internet uh, regarding that. And, um, you know, that stuff started to take off. You know, I kind of looked around for who was doing it for college basketball, and there was just there was nothing going on. There literally was nothing going on. Um, so I started writing about it, and then I realized why there was nothing going on was that there, there weren't any, you know, interesting stats out there. I mean, people were still referring to, you know, offense and defense on the team level in terms of points per game. And, you know, you, if you thought about it a little bit, you could see where uh, that would have some pitfalls. So that's kind of how the site grew was that I, you know, started writing about it and started kind of putting stats up on the site and, uh, and, you know, kind of figured out what mattered and, and, and what was useful from, a, from an analytical perspective and it's kind of gradually grown from there every year. So, you know, historically, I guess, how, do, how does this particular Ohio State team kind of stack up maybe uh, in terms of those metrics to maybe Ohio State teams of the past or even last year? Yeah, you know, it's uh, so, so it is a little dicey right now at Ohio State because obviously, um, you know, they've only played nine games and, and really, you know, only one and a half of them is useful. I mean, the Louisville game I think is useful and, and maybe the Marquette game, but, um, you know, the other seven games are, are – you know, not terribly useful for evaluating them other than we know right. that they're much better than, you know, some of these teams in the hundreds and two hundreds. Um, but, uh, you know, they've shot the ball, the ball really well. I mean, you know, they're right now ranked seventh in the country in two point percentage, which is um, really important and kind of consistent generally speaking with, uh, you know, with that modern era. Um, and they're shooting the ball really well for three point land, which uh, isn't necessarily consistent with, you know, certainly not shooting over 40%. Right now they're 42%. So, um, uh, you know, that uh, modest teams have never shot tremendous from three-point land. So, I mean, those are the things I think, you know, when you compare it to the last, certainly last year, uh, where the offense really struggled. I mean, those are encouraging signs. Um, you know, they're rebounding the ball well. They're not committing turnovers. So, I mean, they're, they're basically doing everything well except get to the free throw line, which is kind of odd considering, um, you know, the, I think it's, to me, especially odd looking at like D'Angelo Russell, who, um, you know, was really carrying the offense and doing a lot of things well. One thing he doesn't do well is even the free throw line. That might concern me a little bit as we get, you know, into conference play. You know, Ken, um, I want to find out what happened to the numbers, why they couldn't pr- 
predict such a pathetic season for Michigan so far? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so so much of these predictions are uh, you know based on the past, and uh, I think even you know human beings that uh, were evaluating Michigan early in the season, you know they just looked at the roster; they might not have been really impressed. You know, Paris Levert was obviously emerging as a star, and he has lived up to that um, billing, but you know, he's really gotten almost no support from his teammates. I mean, they get very little up front. Um, you know, the point guard situation is really the, the whole backcourt situation has been kind of murky, you know, um, you know, playing Walton and Albrecht together pretty much out of necessity. Uh, so, you know, the, the pretty, you look at the past, it's like, hey, it's John Beeline. He's coaching this team. You know, yeah, they don't have necessarily outstanding talent, but, you know, he's one of the best at developing talent. And, um, the, you know, that's the thought process. And, uh, well, as it turned out, you know, the talent really hasn't progressed as much this year as it as it did in the past. You know, they really haven't had that kind of obscure guy step forward and uh, you know make a big jump. And uh, and that's kind of the reason that they're struggling. I mean, that you know, this is a team that really set the standard for offense in college basketball the last few years. And uh, you know, the offensive side of the ball is is really sputtering. That's a a problem for a program that has never really been you know all that skilled in playing defense under John Beeline. So one of the things that I want to ask you, I, I'm a big fan of very efficient basketball. I, I really like it. And I know that's not always like super popular, but I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, you know, we got a team like Wisconsin, right? Like who I think very few people would accuse of playing maybe pretty basketball. And then you've got, you know, Kentucky or Duke who, who can play a really exciting brand. Yeah. To you personally, what do you find more interesting? Do you, I mean, do you still have that kind of reptilian, like, animal like I want to see dunks or do you more want to watch the guys who can like grind out the game be very efficient and, and precise yeah so I mean the Wisconsin uh point is interesting because you know they've had teams in recent so they always play slow and they always play deliberate but they've had teams in recent years that were not efficient and they've had you know like this year's team uh which is uh very efficient and I think um so it's a fine line when you play a slow style. I would prefer to see up-tempo, pass-break basketball. I prefer to see um, action above the rim. But, you know, I also like seeing teams that are really skilled and can be with three-point shot as well. Uh, I don't like watching teams that slow down the game and also can't score. <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem with, you know, the Wisconsin style or the Virginia style. But uh, both those teams have, you know, really perfected uh, their system, you know, Certainly, in the last two years, those teams have played very well offensively, and uh, and it is fun to watch. But um, yeah, there's definitely a fine line there, and certainly, I'm not a huge fan of watching you know, sub sixty possession games on a regular basis. So, like half the Big Ten, then basically, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And you know, on the, on the flip <laughs> side, I mean, I'm actually like much more uh, patient regarding you know up-tempo basketball or, you know, guys are, you know, it's a 75 possession game and guys are running up and down the floor and they're chucking up shots and missing. Like, you know, I can kind of take that sometimes. <laughs> I mean, at least there's some action going on. So, uh, right. <laughs> so I guess that's my, my philosophy on, on what I like to see. So, yeah. So how do you watch a game? Do you, do you like mentally look at the, like look at the shot clock and say, boy, this, do you track that and say, well, this team's, t you know, getting deep in the shot clock every time, or do you track like their field goal efficiency? Are you doing math in your head when you're watching a game on TV? No, for the most part, I'm not doing a ton of that. And I, I might do like a reality check, you know, periodically during the game, you know, check the box score, um, you know, see if anything stands out. Certainly, 
I think monitoring the pace is important. I mean, usually you can infer that from monitoring, and usually you know going in, you know, between who's playing, you know, you kind of know what to expect in terms of the pace, and usually the game kind of goes according to that that script. But uh, no, I don't do a ton of that. I do think, I mean, I you know, just about everything I do, I don't recommend this for people in the real world, but just about everything I do, I think, you know, probabilistically. So, uh, you know, if there is a possession that goes deep in the shot clock and a guy takes a, a contested two off the dribble, you know, I, I mentally know that was a, you know, a low percentage play. And if the ball goes in, it goes in. But, uh, you know, I, I still regard that as a win for the defense. So that's kind of how I, I think when I'm watching the game. But I try not to get uh, overly mathy about it. You know what, though? People don't do that maybe necessarily on, like, a, an individual play basis. But I really get into the probabilities of, of uh, you know, victory – uh, for the game overall, right? Like based on points, and I, I think that's really interesting to follow, especially when a team's mounting like a crazy comeback or something like that. So that's I, and here's the thing: like I really credit your site and a lot of other uh, sites and people who are getting interested in this for I think adding depth to the game, and I think that's really awesome because I I really believe basketball and baseball those those two sports are really really well suited to this kind of analysis, and I think that's that's really awesome. So I I really appreciate your site and. And what you guys do for it. Um, we have one more question for you. Uh, we've we've been doing this with guests, and we we have guys who write into our podcast, and they ask us all kinds of goofy, weird questions. And I would like to ask you one of those goofy, weird questions, Ken Pomeroy. Okay, um, bring it on. All right, NES games. What what was your favorite all time Nintendo Entertainment System game? <laughs> so uh, yeah, so you have a little bit of a problem here because. I'm probably a little bit older than you might expect. I didn't. I didn't really. I never really got into. You're you never too old to play video games, Ken. I know you're never too old to play video games. In fact, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not ashamed to, to play a video game even now. But I never <laughs> did have a an affinity for the NES. You know, definitely uh, my wheelhouse was the Atari uh, in television. Uh, you know, nice. era. So, uh, so I go. I go on the Wayback Machine. You know, give me a uh, give me a Defender cartridge and. Uh, and you know, I, I didn't need a babysitter for two or three hours. And that's kind of <laughs> that's the era I'm from. That's excellent. Well, I, I really appreciate that because we we need to have we need to have the historical perspective. I'm a social studies teacher, and I will always pr- appreciate that. So, thank you very much for bringing that, in. and thank you for bringing the statistical analysis. Yes. I really that's that's what we need. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We got to get his top. We got to get his final four before we let go of him, though. Oh, oh, yes. I yeah. Okay, go for it. Final four. So uh, you know, I hate you know I hate making predictions, and, and yeah, I, I particularly hate the final four predictions because obviously we don't know if the Brad or anything like that. But I will tell you, uh, the number one seeds will be Kentucky, uh, Duke, Wisconsin, and Villanova. Nice. Okay. There well, go. there There's we go. And I think, and of course, of those four, I will pick Ohio State. So that's. That's I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the analysis. Uh, Ken, thank you so much. Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I enjoyed it. All right, so that was the 11 dubcast for uh, the date of 12-17-2014, star date, Woo-hoo! December 17th, 2014. Um, thanks again to Matt Fingus, as always, for the great commentary. And, of course, Ken Pomeroy for being amazing. Yay! We love Ken, Ken Pomeroy. Uh, Ken Pom. Ken Pom. Ken Pom. Ken Pom. Just like Jim Pete. Jim Pete and Ken Pom right. on the same, same podcast. 
That's right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there's a lot that's going to be going on. We got Christmas coming up. We All got right. bowl games. Yeah. Everybody's going to be happy. It's just a wonderful time of the year. I got two weeks off from school. Sweet. I'm excited about that. And that's really kind of the subject of my last question, my final question for you, Michael Citro, uh-huh. which is, um, you know, finals week is always a very exuberant, fun week for students. But it, it's probably the most important week of the of the calendar year, mostly just because, you know, you get to have that nice relief that school's over. You don't have those, like, terror dreams that you wake up screaming because you think you missed a class or something like that. Which, by the way, I was still getting like years after I graduated. But that's that tells you something about my level of stress in college. Uh, what what is your favorite finals week memory, Michael Citro? Favorite finals week memory was uh, going out and loading up on Jolt Cola, uh, <laughs> so we could stay up really late cramming for those uh, those exams. And uh, yeah. so we didn't have Monster back then or Five Hour Energy or any of that stuff. We had, no four loco. That's right. You had to go out and get Jolt Cola because it was cola. It was this really lousy cola that tasted horrible and had twice the caffeine as a normal Coke had. So um, you would go out and you'd find it. And, and um, some people just popped no-dos, which were just straight caffeine pills, <laughs> and they taste horrible. And, you know, so therefore you know how Jolt, Jolt Cola tastes because if you don't have caffeine pills tasted, that's basically – Take that, dump them into some cola, and that's how Jolt Cola tasted. But so I guess I look back on it fondly now because I know I never have to do it again. But um, right. you know, back then, you know, you had you had um, you know certain restrictions on how you could you know keep yourself awake, and you didn't have the five-hour energies and the monster drinks and that kind of thing. So I think that was it. Could have done cocaine like a normal person. But there was like there were like there was like one store on campus, maybe two in the campus area that sold it, or else you'd have to go like venture away from campus to find it. And I think like right. one, I think the UDF might've had it. And I don't remember there was mm-hmm. like another store that had it, but that was it. It was like, it was hard to find. And and of course a lot of people wanted it. So it wasn't always easy. So if you got there, they might be out of it. And it was like, I walked 12 blocks for nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, that would be it. Bit. You know, I, I, I don't know. Finals weeks are kind of blurs because, you know, I tended to drink a lot after they were over with. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's here's my, my, my finals week story. Yes, okay? tell us. All right, so basically I was – this is my graduate uh, – this is when I was in graduate school, and I was writing my thesis, and a couple of my buddies were like – who were also in graduate school with me, mind you uh, – were like, come on, Johnny, we got to go. We got to get out of here. We're, going, we're all going crazy. I'm like, but I'm writing my thesis. Like, no, you got to get out of here. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I got these guys, and they're already half in the bag. And these are big dudes. Like, I'm not a small dude, but these guys, these are big dudes, like 6'4", 6'5", 250 each. And they're, like, pushing each other around. They're jostling around. And they end up smashing the front door, or the, not the front door, the front uh, pane glass windows of uh, Buckeye Donuts. <laughs> and there was glass everywhere. There was blood everywhere. The cops were called. It was just it was it was a good time. It was a good time, and and completely distracted me from my goal of finishing my thesis on uh, the efficacy of college uh, information on students' attitudes toward college. So, uh, so the roughhousing <laughs> went amok. It, it did go amok. It was it was an interesting amok. And years later, I was out with another buddy of mine, and uh, my buddy's wife or fiance at the time, I guess, uh, her one of her cousins had just had a baby. Like, literally, as we were out just hanging out. And so we decided to go to the hospital to say hi to the baby. <laughs> and um, it turns out that the husband 
of this woman who just had the baby was the owner of Buckeye Donuts, who I had seen a couple years before. And so we reminisced over my friends being idiots, and it was a good time. So there you go. That's that's my finals week story. Small world. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a small world after all, and and unfortunately we, we have to close out this week's dubcast. So this is – our world is closing. But it will be back next week. It will be back next week. Very special Christmassy – Santa Claus themed edition of the dubcast. I'm sorry, Michael's editing, so I'm putting all that on him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but until then, uh, I am Johnny Ginner. And I'm Michael Citro hanging up the tinsel and garland. There you go, and, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.